My name is Dan. Welcome to the Passive Income Doctor podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast is for entertainment purposes. Nothing here is financial advice. Please speak to your trusted professional advisors. Views expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Today, I'm going to be talking about a recent book that I read, Margaret Lomas, 20 Must Ask Questions for Every Prop Investor. Now, for those of you not aware, she um, was a, quite a substantial figure in the property investing space in the property education space. And I think it's a good idea to learn from a variety of resources. So, um, yeah, I'll talk through my thoughts about this book, what I agree with, what I don't agree with, and I hope you find it useful. So there's a few things that will go through in this book, not necessarily in chronological order, not necessarily following the chapter outlines. Um, and yeah, if you're interested, have a read of the book and let me know um, your thoughts as well. So she talks about how capital growth and cash flow are not mutually exclusive. So traditional thinking is that the higher the capital growth, the lower the rental yield um, and therefore may not be suitable for all investors, especially those that are tight on cash flow. Um, she challenges that. She says, you know, blue chip properties are mostly places which were former hotspots. You know, they became more popular and then prices went up. And therefore, she says, it's only good if you can find them before they become blue chip areas. Now, I necessarily wouldn't agree 100%. I think blue chip properties, especially for high income earning um, professionals such as doctors, may be a valid investment, especially if you can weather negative cash flow, utilise um, negative gearing and... The more properties you have, the more kind of kitchens, bathrooms, tenant headaches that you may need to deal with. But some investors I know would be more proactive and be happy to purchase kind of more cheaper, lower socioeconomic properties. And I know personally know some investors who have done well from that investment strategy as well. She gives an example of how the Central Coast was once the domain of retired and also, um, you know, kind of wealthier Sydney-siders who own holiday shacks. But as property prices in Sydney became more and more unaffordable, families began to start looking at the Central Coast. She comments on um, how small a town she wouldn't consider investing in. She gives a number of 10000 or lower. Um, you know, she talks about some anecdotes Kids often feel the need to kind of leave such a small town when they come of age, um, for example, for university or they just want to explore what else is out there um, in a bigger city or town. And also, um, you know, I guess she makes the point that they might want to uh, find a life partner as well and then, you know, chance of finding that in a very tiny town um, is much smaller. She says that if a town reaches more of a critical mass, say around 30,000, um, it attracts more people, retailers, developers from outside area will come in, build up shop, improve the infrastructure. So she talks about the importance of families in terms of um, rental demand and also uh, buyer demand. They tend to anchor um, to an area, you know, if this kids are in the local school, you know, therefore they'll remain in that area, you know, say 12 plus years. 
and you know other families might want to join this community and if there's um, not huge amount of supply then the demand for this existing smaller number of properties will increase you know they'll need other industries daycare uh, sporting facilities um, transport she talks about the importance of vibrancy of economy you know without suitable employment you know young people will move out um, which can um, compound and uh, cause economic decline and therefore also demand for that town to decline as well and, and hence can affect capital growth. She talks about some indicators of economic vibrancy such as the success of business in the area. Um, you know, you can do research such as um, the membership of the local chamber of commerce, what's the vacancy rate for commercial premises nearby, is there any... Um, DAs or applications for new commercial developments. Um, you know, is a Coles coming in? Is a Bunnings coming in? You know, these big companies do a lot of research. You can also do other research such as looking at the medium house come income, but then also the trend of that as well. It says a good rule of thumb is about 70% owner-occupier for an, an area. You can also look at um, smaller towns, she says, but obviously not too small. Um... So look for either a major centre or one that is part of a larger economic area. You know, residents want access to services, groceries, car, you know, mechanics, schools. Like how far is the drive to drop off kids? Um, you know, parents don't want to drive for a long time to pick up and drop off kids for school. Is there diversity of industry in the area? And But also make sure that they're not um, just related um, for example, does the hospitality, retail, education and health sectors exist just to support the you know one mining sector in town? Because if mining left, then all these other industries would suffer as well. And livability of there is important. Um, I know some other podcasts such as Property Couch talk about it as well. So this could include transport, amenities, walk score, affluence score, crime score, hip score. In terms of due diligence, she talks about how she often emails the sales agent a list of questions um, and says, can the vendor answer this? I guess a caveat is, you know, it's hard to hold them accountable and in a hot market, I don't think the sales agent would necessarily play ball. But I guess it is worth a shot. So some of these questions that she asks is, you know, is there currently um, or in the past any pest infestation in the property? Um, has there been any rectification, rectification work done in the last you know, five, ten years on the building? I guess, you know, if the previous owner hasn't held it that long, they might not necessarily know. And if it's investment property, some landlords are hands-off, so you know, they genuinely might not know or they might not want to disclose to you. Um, she goes on to ask about some other things such as cracks, you know, water damage, mould um, and, you know, would you say that the building is structurally sound? So I guess it's hard to comment on that. Obviously, selling agent or the vendor is not a building and pest and, you know, they would probably ask you to get your building and pest report. Some other th things that I agree with is, you know, 
beware of rental guarantees. You know, just because a property has a rental guarantee doesn't mean it's necessarily good investment property. If it's a dud in other aspects, for example, if it's one in a thousand part of a complex, you know, huge amounts of supply, um, which will dampen rental demand and also capital growth as well, lacking that scarcity. And also there's a lot of government back schemes, you know, there's Defence Force Housing, NRAS, um, more recently NDIS. You know, they're not actually government backed as such, you know. Yeah, she makes a good point. If the property prices go down in value or doesn't perform well, you know, the government's not going to refund you a capital loss. Um, and also if the tenant damages property, government won't fix that for you. You still have to do it yourself. Often these properties have high management fees um, as they're quite specialised and might be more wear and tear. Some tips for negotiating down the prices, you can ask or check yourself the age of the hot water system um, and aircon and the condition of the window um, blinds or curtains. Uh, so that way, if you are making a lower offer, you can say I'm factoring that likely we'll need to replace these things soon after settlement. Um, she likes floor coverings that don't need too much care. So she likes tiles of vinyl rather than carpets as such. Very extensive gardens. Tenants will not care for them. Similarly for pools, she makes the point that, you know, some families may like it, but some young kids may be worried about the pool and drowning and things like that. Um, furnished property is very specialised. Um, so unless it's, a you know, like a holiday area or like a executive rental in the CBD, then furnished property is probably less likely to be popular. Uh, I guess just thinking out loud, you know, I guess lots of tenants want their own furniture. She talks about some title insurance and the pros and cons. Um, And then finally, in terms of exit strategies. um, So one popular one is kind of settle down property, gradually doing retirement, spreading apart the sales to minimise the amount of tax you have to pay in one particular financial year. And obviously, usually when you're retired will be on a lower tax bracket. But I guess she makes a good point that, you know, you want to preserve the capital. You know, you work very hard to accumulate property and if you sell, you have to pay capital gains tax and if you take that remaining amount of money and put it in another asset, it seems a bit silly. I guess the downside is, you know, some people do need the capital to fund their retirement. Also as well, if there's a huge amount of debt, the bank might not necessarily like you taking that high amount of debt into retirement. Um, So I guess it depends on the case-by-case strategy. But she makes a good point that, you know, property over the long term keeps on growing and is a relatively safe asset class in that regard. So some takeaways for me, um, I guess four takeaways. Number one is, um, yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a place for blue chip and perhaps not depending on your budget. But I tend to like blue chip or, you know, relatively high socioeconomic areas, especially for high income earners such as doctors, which is the intended audience for this podcast. You know, less maintenance headaches, um, you know, less kitchens, bathrooms, things that can break down. And also um, if you go for too low socioeconomic properties, often there might be some tenant issues. 
Um, obviously, this is just a general rule of thumb. But I agree, you know, if you can identify an area that is gentrifying, um, you know, I guess Tamaris, kind of blue chip areas, it can pay out well. Um, but check out one of, some of my previous episodes where I do mention that gentrification can be a, quite a slow process and, you know, there's some areas that people have been talking about will gentrify and it still hasn't after decades. Number two, appealing to families is important. So I've talked about owner-occupier appeal and the importance of that before. And it makes sense, you know, they may have the emotional pull to pay overs, um, which can lead to strong capital growth. And, yeah, families typically, typically if they're in their 40s and 50s with kids, you know, these are their peak earning years and they have the ability to pay more for something they truly desire. Number three, avoid small towns, especially if it's centred just around one industry. And number four, um, the importance of due diligence. Though I would add that don't just rely on what the sales agent tells you. You have to do your own due diligence, um, whether using a buyer's agent or you can use other resources if you're doing it yourself. Utilise counsel, check for what's counsel approved, what's not. You can get a second opinion from a property manager in the area who's not associated with that selling agent. And, yeah, there's so, so many free resources online, Google Street View, Google Maps, um, and, yeah, it goes on. So I hope you found this useful. Um, you know, have a read of the book and let me know your thoughts. Also, I would like to say thanks to all my listeners. Um, it's been about one year since the start of this Passive Income Doctor podcast. Um, you know, released a variety of format areas. And looking forward in the future, we'll be getting more guests on, special guests, getting more doctors on. So if you're keen to be featured, please reach out on social media or email in the comment section below. And also, if you found it useful, I would really appreciate if you can leave a five-star review so we can reach more listeners as well. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please take a moment now to hit the subscribe button and share the podcast because this will help others benefit also. So until next time, keep taking steps to improve your financial health. Thank you.